It is the ACC tailgate on a Sunday evening, 7 o'clock Sunday, 7 o'clock Wednesdays. Lawton Swan, Ingram Smith, hanging out with you here today. Ingram, buddy, hope you've been doing well. Good to have you back on the show. Yeah, hello, hello. Good to be back. Uh, looking forward to doing another show and got all kinds of stuff to talk about tonight. Yeah, it's a wild and crazy time in sports for sure. We see things uh, all across the landscape of college football that you know. I think everybody's really kind of in tune with the, the latest news. The ACC putting out their plus one schedule. The SEC sort of balking at the opportunity to play some of those natural rivalries. And they end up uh, going with just a conference-only schedule. One would assume you'll see the same for the Big 12. We know the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and and again, this is a, a monumental moment maybe for sports in general because in addition, I, I think, Ingram, to the growing concerns about playing the games this year, there is a growing conversation from players potentially opting out this year from stars to maybe guys that might not even uh, get on the field. We've already seen it with, with guys like uh, Caleb Fairley at Virginia Tech, who's not going to play this year. There was a, I, would you call it, I guess, a coalition of players out in the Pac-12 that has sort of come together. I think some 400 large now. They're saying, hey, we, we just don't know if we're going to step out on the football field. I've heard tale of the potential that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten could both move uh, their seasons to the to the spring. Now that's a, a debate for another day, or maybe a little later in the show. But from the standpoint of players opting out, Ingram, you're right there in Tallahassee. You know the storylines that came out earlier this summer, uh, where it appeared that maybe Florida State wasn't going to do some practicing because of the things that were said uh, from the the coach there, uh, from Mike Norvell. But from that standpoint, I'm talking about the landscape COVID nineteen. Could we see a mass exodus of players this year who decide not to play? Well, um, it'll be very interesting. I think <laughs> I'm getting a real distinct echo on everything that I'm saying right now, so I'm not sure where that's All right, coming we'll from. Figure right? that, I can figure that out for you. you I don't mean to rolling. bring show issues to interesting and the fact that, like, not to sound cold-hearted, but <laughs> – you don't ever make the request for 50% of revenue off the top and expect to be uh, treated or expect to be received real well from parties involved. So who knows how that'll go. The individual issues in Tallahassee earlier in their year, a little bit of a different issue, but I do think you'll right. see, I mean, I, there's whispers that you may see one or two names in Tallahassee of people that choose to sit out. And uh, I think you're right. They may be, you know, this Virginia tech players a massive player i would classify him as a legitimate you know first team all conference type player yeah, i think you'll have that and i think you'll have guys that the general college football public are otherwise not familiar with and uh it'll go up and down the the scale as far as the roster impact ingram smith lawton swan with you here on a sunday evening seven o'clock we kick it off wednesdays as well ingram I was playing with some things on my end, buddy. I don't know what the uh, echo's coming from. I don't have anything. You sound perfect. You look perfect here. Cool. Uh, I'm hoping that it sounds perfect over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. I'll go check that out uh, in just a few minutes. But, you know, it, it is amazing because I think athletes, maybe more than ever, collegiate and professional, feel empowered. And, uh, feel, and, and, and look, I'm not saying they're not entitled to feel empowered. I mean, especially at the collegiate level. I mean, these guys have been really – you know, put through the gauntlet for years with no compensation. I mean, we could get into 
Uh, you know, I, I certainly believe that the academic aspect of it and, and what that brings for these young men is important. I mean, that's a huge part of the opportunity that sports creates for a lot of individuals who may otherwise not have had that same opportunity. But this is really the first time in my lifetime that I remember really seeing college athletes, I, I hesitate to say from coast to coast, but sort of collectively standing up for themselves and, and really saying, hey, look, we're concerned about our health. You know, and, and, and even though these guys on any given play can have their entire career, the rest of their future taken away from them, you can break your neck and never play again. I, I think the reality of feeling like this is something that's more avoidable from their standpoint and seeing that the NFL is not out there getting after it and and you know would probably be much more enclosed in a bubble than these college athletes can be. I think those are the, the same concerns that we see from the educators across the country, whether that's professors in college and teachers in classrooms, you know, recognizing the, the time frame that they're going to be in these classrooms com- confined in small spaces, not out in the open air. I think there's a, a lot of things that sort of weigh in on all of this right now. But the empowerment of the student athlete is something that's really, really started to, to take hold here in the past couple of months, I think. Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, I think that it's going to be fascinating to see. And in a way, I'm, I'm kind of concerned for the broader college football. <laughs> this damn echoes just come back out of nowhere. I don't know what's going on. I apologize. Um, so not only is are kind of the aspects of college football that we're familiar with and fond of getting kind of peeled away this year, both in the rivalries, uh, some of the more cold truths that we're seeing. And then also, like if you only see four P5, or excuse me, four power conferences play football this year, it's going to be really tough. You're going to strip away so much. There's obviously, there's the, highest levels that we all focus but there's you know there's super impactful and meaningful rivalries in division three and division two and all these different things that go on uh so i certainly hope we play college football but i hope we're not uh you know somewhat doing irreparable damage to the sport at the same time uh now this conversation that we're having you know this ship was pushed in that direction probably in the early 80s with a TV contracts and how that was decided or the TV time. And this is all kind of set a series of events in motion, but yeah, uh, it's, it's very interesting times from a broader college football perspective. Again, the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football Ingram. I'm going to tell you, I checked out the Twitch channel a few minutes ago, buddy. You sound like a million bucks over there. So I don't know what the echo is. You sound good here too. You may just have to enjoy doing the show with yourself. Uh, on the program today but uh you know all in all i i think that that we definitely also saw a, a turn to a degree uh, from the standpoint of the players and the student athletes when the revenues of these coaches really started or i shouldn't call it revenues the salaries of these coaches really started to boom and when coaches started to become not just oh he's making three hundred thousand dollars a year like coaches were back in the 1990s to he's making 8.6 million dollars a mm-hmm. year that also changed it because salaries across the board have not escalated as quickly as the coaches salaries have uh, in college sports and I think that 
too, is another reason that you see the student athletes feeling so much more empowered because of the gap that they perceive and, and recognize between what their head coaches make, whether it's deserved or not, we can argue all day long. I would say coaches are overpaid uh, given what they do. But the amount of money they generate and the revenue they bring in offsets maybe what they do versus their value. But I mm-hmm. think players say, hey, but we're doing the work. And now you're going to tell us we got to go out there and we got to play and put ourselves on the line and you can't, you know, you can't assure us that we're going to be – you know, healthy or safe and, and and all of those things. You can't guarantee that. And I think they're very hesitant because what is their future? Their future is potentially the NFL. Their future is potentially millions of dollars, 30 plus million dollar contract. The first day you sign it, unless you have some sort of lung issues that you can no longer play the game. You no longer have the stamina and the ability and the speed and the quickness and all of those things that, that come along with it. So, from that standpoint, I, I think it is a unique time because the players are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me in the middle of a pandemic, we got to be the entertainment for America? Yeah. No, and and you can't put us in a bubble. I mean, the NBA is doing a, a, a pretty good job, I think. And, and I've been able to watch some of the NBA games. I know Major League Baseball. We talked about the Miami Marlins here on the show last the last time we were with you on Wednesday. And you know that's been, a, or maybe that was last Sunday, that's been a bad scene. But for crying out loud, if you uh, you know if you're a fan and you're angry that the players are standing up for themselves, I say shame on you, honestly. And that might not be a popular opinion with the fans, but I mean these guys have given a lot to these programs for years and years and years. And here we are in the middle of this pandemic. And if you're a player and you don't want to play, I think you have every right to opt out and say, "I'm not playing. I'm not doing it." Yeah, yeah, I think you do. I think you certainly have every right. I'm just going to take my headphones out. Um, I think you have every right to do that. And you're right. This has kind of been a, a longstanding equation that hasn't been particularly fair for the player. So uh, I think with all of the, you know, winds of, uh, of social justice that have been in the air for five months now that uh, or for four months now that a lot of this is players first real opportunity to kind of, act some of that out uh, or, or find their voice and, and see exactly what the best way to move forward is. And uh, it's certainly bled into college football. And some of it is, uh, is has to do with the money and has to do with the fact that they know the coach is making, you know, $7.8 million right. or whatever it was uh, for their respective institutions. And, and some of it, I think like, I don't think the Farley kid from Virginia tech necessarily is, um, you know, that he's unsatisfied with the the economic equation so much as it's just the same decision that numerous pro athletes have made, just that for this season, they don't really see what the payoff is to either exposing themselves or, or a family member by playing sports. So um, I think it's worth us kind of keeping an open mind as to where some of these decisions stem from and, and what the real motivation of them was. Now, at, at- – you know, these schools like in the ACC specifically, what we would call your traditional college football powers. And here on the ACC tailgate, we want to see every team desire in this league to be a college football power. Florida State, the school you cover, Clemson, the school I cover, Miami, uh, Virginia Tech. I mean, we can get into the, you know, the, the details on those teams. 
But from that standpoint, where you are right now, do you think there? Because you know, based on what I'm hearing in Clemson, while we see some guys tweeting some things here or there, I, I get the feeling that with the prize of a national title potentially being out there and and being uh, on the plate for Clemson, you're you're gonna see, if any, very minimal. You know, I think it'll be especially if the things are played in the fall. Now, if it gets moved to the spring, mm-hmm. I think this conversation changes a lot. But if we play during the fall, I think at Clemson, based on what I've heard, the majority of these guys are probably going to get out there and stick with it for the season. Some of the younger guys may choose otherwise. Some of these guys that we might have said a week or two ago, hey, you might see this freshman get out and play in four games this year and the new, you know, that how that new rule is so great for this sport, Ingram, I think is a positive. But I also believe that if anybody sits it out, it will be young guys who felt like they weren't probably going to play all that much anyway. And so, uh, you know, I don't know all in all, honestly, what the numbers will be, if it will be any. But I would think that if you're a team in contention, the odds are the odds are greater that you don't have people that choose to sit out versus if you're a team whose season looks like you might be on the brink of a one and nine Atlantic Coast Conference schedule. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's definitely uh, – it would be a reasonable expectation. I mean, I, there's certainly a culture at Clemson, too, that is been all about buy-in and everybody kind of working up to what's happened in the last couple of years. And, you know, if you are critical of Dabo Sweeney or if you're his biggest fan, I think most people can come to the general conclusion that he's built a hell of a locker room and a hell of a culture and – uh, there's probably, in a good way, a little bit of peer pressure there for everybody to to try to play if possible. Uh, now, obviously, if you're a kid like Etienne or something like that, and we start talking about playing ball in 2021, I don't like you said. I think this is a very different conversation. I don't think that you know maybe the kind of that peer pressure element exists anymore. There's a little bit more of an understanding as to hey, look at the at the combines in two and a half months, I can understand why you're not interested in playing college football. So, uh, you know, it'll just be, (laughs) it seems like there's always something uh, right now with athletics and COVID and timing. And, you know, we get a schedule and then another issue pops up as to how many players are really going to partake in it. And um, it's just a wild time to be a sports fan. And and a lot of different things are kind of, playing themselves out here during these these odd times. It, it is an odd time. It is a wild time. I think for people who maybe initially thought that it would be a tremendous challenging time for guys that do what we do, um, I, I've kind of found it the, the opposite, you know, with the two-hour daily radio show because there is so much intrigue and interest uh, into what's going to happen and how things are going to unfold from that standpoint and I, I think that even up until last week, you know, the only thing that was really limiting our conversations to a degree was not really knowing who you were playing and feeling like you weren't going to play that season opener that you had been planning on the entire year. And now we know things have been pushed back. We know the Atlantic Coast Conference has got the plus one model. We know that they're going to uh, it, it, it's going to be I don't want to call it an extended season, but when you add a we might play the ACC championship game on this day or that day. There's obviously some flexibility uh, in the schedule built in by COVID-19. But uh, I, I found it almost the, the, the most interesting and dynamic offseason, uh, honestly, Ingram, that, I, that I've ever seen in, in sports. I've, I, I've really enjoyed 
covering this stuff more now uh, than I have in the past because it's not just your typical run of the mill. This is what it's going to look like. Here comes fall camp. It's mm-hmm. hey, here comes fall camp, but <laughs> can we can we make it through a week? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, no, there's certainly been uh, an awful lot more kind of hanging out there uh, this summer. And, you know, in a in a way, I'm kind of happy I haven't had to talk about, you know, class of 2022 kids or something like that, or some of the things that occasionally get us through the summer months. Um, but, yeah, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. It's given us a chance to touch on some content that's kind of evergreen or stuff that maybe we didn't do. I'm not necessarily big fans of doing you know, Mount Rushmore type shows, but uh, it has been fun to go back and look at, you know, some great games or pivotal moments in a program's history or whatever else. And it's kind of gotten us through a summer where it looks like, uh, you know, it looks like we're on the verge of trying to kick this thing off. So uh, maybe we've done it. Maybe we've been able to make our way through the the dog days of summer in a, in a kind of stealth mode and maybe it passed a little bit quicker than it would have otherwise. Ingram Smith, again, on Twitter, at Ingram Smith. Lawton Swan, I'm on Twitter, at Clemson Sports. And uh, I, I saw a note that came out of – I don't know if anybody was paying attention. We've, we're doing a little different Atlantic Coast Conference fight song every week, and that was uh, one from North Carolina and the Tar Heels. And I saw a note that Mac Brown said that the ACC schedule release uh, provided his team some much-needed hope. And I think that that right now is a word that every sports fan uh, just really wants to have because hope is something that gives you a vision of what the future could be and that you might get a chance to see your favorite team play a game, singular, or multiple mm-hmm. games, plural. And I thought Mac Brown hit it on the head. He said it, it, it's fun and unique and new. Uh, because there's just so much buzz and and you know it's exciting. It almost begs the question if we wouldn't be better off occasionally, maybe. And I know I know fans would go nuts about this, but I mean there's there's sort of a heightened excitement about the season because you just found out who you're playing. You mm, know what I mean? Yeah. You haven't you haven't yeah. had to study this stuff for months on end. Well, the ACC's uh, you know a fan of holding back delivery dates on schedules uh, comparative to other conferences as is currently so you're right about uh, that maybe brother. that would, would gain traction in Greensboro given the opportunity um I think what it also has done for probably every program but Clemson has um risen the level of focus I mean you know when you look at that schedule it got more challenging for probably everybody but Clemson as far as who they look at and you know, wins and projected losses. Uh, sure. It's it's a really interesting dynamic. And, you know, I think when you look at the schedule that you may have and you look out there and you don't, with all due respect, you don't see your, you know, your Sanfords or Louisa Monroe's or whatever, that uh, everybody's got a feel for, hey, if we get to kick this thing off, uh, every week's going to be a pretty healthy battle. Don't you get the feeling, Ingram, that without those and and this is like normally when I'm talking about cupcakes on a conference schedule or on your your scheduling slate, I don't feel a certain way about it. But because those games don't exist now, I feel really bad. Kind of like you just you're like no, I don't mean to disrespect you know the schools uh, that are out there that that kind of get labeled as such. But 
it's really going to expose some conference teams this year in terms of their record. I mean, I, I looked at, you know, kind of how I lined it up, and we could talk about this because it's one of our topics today. You know, who do you initially kind of out of the gate think ends up playing in the ACC championship just after the re-ranking? But when I went through it, man, I, I've got Syracuse going 1-9. and nine. I've got Boston College going 1-9. and nine. I mean, when you can't mask your schedule with a couple of – yeah, uh, with a couple of uh, winnable ball games, buddy, they're going to be some ugly, ugly resumes this year. Well, and then Wake Forest, Wake Forest and Florida State were the two schools that I thought. Now, granted, you know, run that through the filter that I uh, follow Florida State, but I thought those were the two schools that had the the toughest coming out of the gate. And Wake made you may be looking at a two to three win season for Wake. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. Uh, the psychology of college football will be very different. You don't have, uh, you know, nobody's playing the Citadel. Uh, you're not going to have a win. You're not going to have a chance if you're Boston College to try to get over the fact that Clemson beat the hell out of you with a, a bye in a, you know, a game against a team that you'll otherwise probably win. So, uh, you know, it's, it's there aren't going to be easy wins, uh, and all these coaches are going to have to deal with the fact that, you know, you don't have some of these – otherwise scheduled games that kind of serve as unofficial buys for you as you you know get ready for some of your larger other games. Lawton Swan, Ingram Smith, Sunday night, 7 o'clock, Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. Of course, Ingram hosts the Noble Cast for all you Florida State fans checking out the program. I host Clemson Sports Talk for all you Tigers and anybody else that wants to peek over the fence and keep up with both of those programs. But if you want to follow the entire Atlantic Coast Conference and everything going on in that respect, Ingram and I will be here for you every Sunday, 7 o'clock, every Wednesday at 7 o'clock in my small town. I said it a week ago. Uh, Ingram, where I grew up, little old Barnwell, South Carolina. That was church going night. So if you're not heading to church, uh, we'll take it to the little Atlantic Coast Conference Chapel here uh, every Sunday and Wednesday to talk a, a good bit about the ACC. As for the league and, and what you think it will play out, you mentioned that it, it changes for a lot of teams, Ingram. Uh, maybe not Clemson, outside of the fact that you know the Tigers are going to have to potentially get past Notre Dame twice. I think that's something to to consider. But who right now, in your opinion, given the schedule in front of you, are maybe three or four teams that you think are the most likely to play in the ACC championship? And if you just need to go with three and, and say you think Clemson is going to be there no matter what, that's fine too. But But who would you go with? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you immediately add UNC to the conversation. Uh, you immediately put Miami. Miami and UNC are somewhat interchangeable, although I think UNC may still be a year away from pe- where people think they're going to be. Uh, so we'll have to see there. But, yeah, I mean, I think you you look at the two schools from the Coastal that uh, we would have kind of projected there. Uh, Clemson is Clemson and doesn't really need a whole lot of time spent on it. And then the fact that Notre Dame is, for all intents and purposes, a full member for one year only. Um, I don't think the conversation has to necessarily go past those four. I don't think there's anybody else that's really um, of legitimate consideration. You know, I, I look at it too, and I'm I'm similar uh, with you, I think, Ingram, in the respect that, you know, I think that Clemson and, and Notre Dame and, and North Carolina probably have, in my opinion, the best chance of getting there. What – what begins to hurt some of these teams, I think, and maybe more specifically, say a, a, a Florida State who's got all the talent in the world, um, 
and obviously they're they're hoping that the, and you know this as well as anybody they're hoping that this year would be that sort of step forward and, and back to the the level of prominence that they once had but man when when you've got Clemson and Notre Dame and North Carolina on that schedule and you're doing a one division stacked league to get to the top uh it's it's just tough to see I think Florida State having the type year that their fans would want them to have this year. Uh, and then I, I, I don't want to undersell or undervalue Louisville either. You know, I think Louisville and, and the job that's been done there, uh, you know, in one year with, with Coach Satterfield is incredible. And it's, it's, he's, he brings the right perspective to that program. And I think that I don't think he'll be there very long. By the way, I think he's. Mm-hmm. I think he'll find his way out of town uh, sooner rather than later. Honestly, but I, I think a bigger name school will come calling at some point. But you know, you, you saw him a year ago, very disciplined. I mean, two years ago with Bobby Petrino. I mean, that program was just. I mean, they they were a nightmare to watch. And so, you know, I think that that Florida State is a team that's got such a difficult slate that our Seminole fans. I think Miami kind of falls into this category too. Uh, because they got a pretty difficult slate. I, there's no easy, you know, there's no easy road in this single division deal. And I think it's Clemson, Notre Dame, North Carolina, and maybe with a little luck, maybe Virginia Tech could find a mm-hmm. way into that top four. Uh, but even the even the Hokies have to take on the Tigers and the Tar Heels. So it's just a it, it's going to be a, a it's going to be a, a unique year. And I, I think that's kind of going to be. For fans, interesting, more interesting, I think, to a degree, because it it felt like for a couple of years that the opponent from the Coastal Division maybe wasn't going to give much of a fight in the ACC championship game. And I think this year, no matter who the top two teams are, you're going to have yourself a, a, a heck of a battle, assuming we get there in Charlotte in December. I think so. I think, um, you know, it's just going to be – uh, it's going to be so unique that it's hard to even put words onto. I mean, we're going to see a slate of games play itself out in a manner that we've never really seen before. We're going to see uh, the potential of concentrated absences impact games like we've never seen before. I mean, you could see uh first team all American at left tackle and a fourth team walk on at left guard. I mean, you know, you may just see these crazy pairings uh, that people have to do to try to get through a game and, and, you know, maybe I'm being too presumptuous. Maybe you see some of these teams that are have a healthy roster and you know, maybe catch a UNC at a time where they have, you know, three out of five offensive linemen missing or something like that. You know, there, there just may be impacts on games that are kind of impossible, all but impossible for us to sit here and project on August 2nd. I do think the broader depth of the rosters are going to be challenged in a manner that we've never seen before. I mean, you might have uh, – you might be kind of pacing back to your roster to see who's played quarterback at some time during the year to <laughs> know who your second or third emergency option is going to be, almost like uh, almost like how you, how you carry a catcher or an emergency catcher on a baseball roster sometimes. So uh, it'll just be hard for us to make sense of at this point, and it may be hard for us to make sense of during the season. It's just going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. Yeah, no, look, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, from the standpoint of even what we've heard out of the NFL, there have been some coaches saying, I think we mentioned this on Wednesday, that uh, they may have a, a, a quarterback that they keep separate from everybody else just so that if in, the, you know, in a pinch, 
uh, you can go uh, to that guy. So, uh, again, we don't know what it's going to look like. We just know that we're getting a little bit closer. And, again, we want to thank you for joining us on the Chris Landry Football Channel on Twitch. You can head over to twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball if you're listening to the podcast edition of the ACC Tailgate. And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcast. Uh, so just head over to Twitch right now. Join us in the chat room. Communicate with us. We can put you up on the air if you want. If you got anything to say, uh, like Jig's dad does. Uh, Jig's dad says that, uh, let's see, pull it up here. Syracuse's uh, road schedule is brutal at Clemson, at Notre Dame. He says, will they win more than one? But you're right, no uh, no easy weeks. Yeah, and it is. It's amazing. Um, from that standpoint, I, I think, Ingram, more than ever, how when I really started diving into it, like I I, I went back and I had to start hunting like hunting, I, I went through, you know, I did the, you know, I, I don't know your routine with these deals, but I, I, I don't just take one team and go through their schedule. I sort of bounce around this whole thing like a, like a quilt. And I, I go through it. I mark the ones that I feel pretty certain about. And then I start narrowing that down. And then the last five or six I'm picking, I mean, it's really, okay, this game could go either way. And I'm probably going to end up being wrong because of a turnover, but I'm going to make this selection. But then when I got done and I ran the numbers and I looked at the the the, the final to- totals, Ingram and I had team after you know team with one or two wins. I was like, oh, that's going to be tough on some of these schools. But you know, I, I think that uh, Jig's dad is right. There are going to be some fan bases that are bitterly disappointed. I think the other conversation becomes how many wins do you have to have to get to a bowl game. I mean, it's not going to be six this year if there are enough bowl games. I mean, you might take some four-win teams to bowl games. I mean, there's going to have to be some changes, assuming we get that far. But when you – and I would challenge any of our listeners, go grab an Atlantic Coast Conference schedule today. Go through. Mark it up. Yourself. Make your own predictions. Every league finishes 500. For every 10-0 team, there were 10 losses somewhere on that schedule. Like, every league from top to bottom finishes at 500. And there are some bad resumes when you start doing it, man. It is bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As far as the bowls go, I think if we have bowls, you'll have uh, pure exceptions for everybody this year. So, honestly, I think if if a team or if a bowl, rather, wants to take a three-loss Virginia Tech team, saying that happens, uh, that they'll be able to. I mean, I I think that uh, it'll be basically a free path for people. I don't know that we'll have bowl games, but uh, again, uh, another conversation uh, for another time. So, um, and then also, you know, kind of like we talked about the psychology, um, you know, it, it'd be fascinating to see if teams give up. Uh, there's not too many teams that respond real well to starting off 0 and 2, 0 and 3, 0 and 4. And yeah. if there's not that that team, that padded team on the schedule that would otherwise give you a chance to kind of get a a get right game, so to say, then, uh, you know, the train may go off the tracks faster than, than it would have otherwise. So uh, there's, there's a lot of factors in this, but uh, yeah, I mean, somebody's got, <laughs> somebody's got to collect those losses. You're absolutely right about that. And uh, there's, you know, it's a real top heavy conference and there's a couple of teams that you can kind of go through the record and be pretty confident that they're not going to carry too many of them. 
Yeah, Jig's dad, 44, sending us a message over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. That's where you can watch this program and a wealth of other programs. We'll give you some of the updates on that momentarily. I just pulled up the schedule. Uh, Syracuse at Clemson, at Louisville, at North Carolina, at Notre Dame, and uh, at Pitt. And that might be an undervalued Pitt team this year. You know, Dino Babers probably not going to have a great season. But this is a year, as we noted several weeks ago, or I guess a week or so ago, that we believe, you and I both, that coaches will be given pretty much a COVID-19 pass, uh, if you will, this year to a degree. Yeah, it's going to be real hard to fire somebody. You're, you're going to need to be egregious, uh, rather on the field or off, uh, I think, in this this year to uh, to lose your to lose your job. It's not going to be real comfortable conversation for any athletic director to start looking at a buyout uh, to start absorbing costs that aren't otherwise already on the spreadsheet, so to say. So, um, I, I think a lot of teams or a lot of athletic departments will be slow to move. I also I think you got to treat these guys who just came in. You know, your Mike Norvells of the world. Basically, almost have to give them a year zero here. I mean, they they have it. I think they had two days of spring practice. Haven't really been around, been able to be around the team until th- two to three weeks ago. It, <laughs> I mean, you just, it's you haven't had a chance to coach yet. Uh, so, how you're going to judge these guys is, uh, you know, you're going to have to put a filter on trying to dictate what you can take away from this year. And a pretty heavy filter, in my opinion, if you're a fan. You just and it, it also slows down the recruiting. You know, these guys that are transitioning oh. into new jobs, uh, you haven't had a chance to meet with any of them. If you're Mike Norvell, you can tell people what you did at Memphis, but nobody that's being recruited by a Florida State type level schools gonna be particularly interested in what you did at Memphis for the most part. So um, it's just a whole different situation with the transition coaches. I, I, I'm with you on the recruiting front, Ingram. That has been a, another aspect of it that I think for me, uh, from somebody that keeps up with it, that, you know, the evaluation of talent, maybe not so much in, you know, this incoming class, the, the, not, you know, not this freshman year, but the, the coming year, but the following two classes, I me mean, missing this real cycle of getting these guys on campus and getting a chance to look at them and, Finding that that three star kid that ends up being a four star kid, uh, it's that to me is the because now these coaches are like us. I mean, because in a lot of respects, like I can't go to Oregon and evaluate a player, and he's certainly yeah. not flying into my backyard to put on some skill and drill for me to check him out. And so from that, I mean, it talent evaluation. You may have a transfer portal in a year or so. Uh, that is just flooded with talented players leaving smaller programs and trying to work their way up to to get some eyeballs on them uh, yep. at some of the Power Five schools. And, and you may have a full transfer portal in a couple of years because you got a ton of kids making decisions about schools that they haven't really visited. Uh, and and another element of this is, and this is a big onion that you can pull as many layers back as you want to. But a lot of these schools, if if you're not a you know, sure star or surefire four star or five star that where, you know, you've been one of your best players at your position in your state since you were a sophomore and everybody knows about you, then you're fine. But if you're one of these late developers and you're a kid who hadn't had a chance to go to some of these mm. big camps, uh, who doesn't have verified height, weight, 
um, some of the basic, you know, 40s, three-cone, et cetera. It's exceptionally hard for coaches to evaluate prospects right now. I mean, when I talk to uh, friends of mine that are assistants, uh, either be at places like Florida State or places like UTC or Georgia Southern, I mean, they're when you just said they're like you and me a couple of times, they are. I mean, a lot of these coaches are watching huddle films, trying to figure out exactly how big these guys are. Is this a is this a 290 where the kid's really 330? Or is this a 290 where the kid's really 268? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's just uh, literally guys are watching watching tape, <laughs> you know, just like a message board guy trying to figure out exactly where they're going to go. Now, again, you're – you know, your Marius Mims, your these prospects that are the in the top 20, uh, everybody knows this. No everybody brain. knows everything about them. But the second, third layer prospects are as much of an unknown as they've ever been, particularly if we don't have high school football in some of these states. I mean, you know, high football is a different – I can't tell you how many kids I've played football with that at 17 were not really good football players and at 18 were really damn good. I mean, you know, sometimes – you grow into this sport. Sometimes it clicks late. Sometimes you, you know, you just really emerge in your final year of high school football. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. And they're going to, you know, we're going to be feeling the shockwaves of this for multiple years. If you want to participate with us, you can do just like Jig's dad did a few minutes ago and post uh, over on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, here's how you can do it. Simply go to LandryFootball.com and click directly onto the Twitch channel, listen live or listen to the podcast, or read about the game of football from the coaches and scouts' perspective from high school, college, to the NFL, from recruiting to the NFL draft, to free agency, pregame and postgame film analysis, to the inside scoop on players, teams, coaches, and schemes. LandryFootball.com and the Landry Football Network is your source for all things football and and I know Ingram that we're going to be here for everybody on Sundays at seven and Wednesdays at seven getting after it you mentioned California and the high schools they're not playing this season in the fall I set it out of the gate the Pac-12 I'm hearing rumors that they are considering even though they put out a schedule and that made everybody feel good I think it was Friday Mm -hmm. uh, they are considering and the conversations are beginning to, to fester up that they want to play in January, that they're looking to play in January. I've heard the Big Ten in a similar boat. If two of the Power Five leagues were to make that move, but the ACC moves forward, the SEC moves forward, and the Big 12 move forward, Ingram, in your estimation, as somebody that's been around this game for a long time, what happens to the college football playoff at that point if two of the Power Five leagues break away and play football in the spring? If it's just the pack. 12, I don't think anybody cares. But if you're looking at the idea of playing college football without Michigan and Ohio State and some of those other schools, then that's going to be – I mean, I that's going to be really tough. I, I think they're going to carry on with it. But uh, I – man, that's tough. I mean, because really Ohio tough to State – to tell me you crowned a national champion if the Big Ten didn't play. Yeah, look, you already, you already lost the Ohio State-Oregon game which maybe opens – if you were a believer that Oregon, with or without a loss, was good enough to get into the college football playoff, if you believed that, then by taking Ohio State off of their schedule, you probably believe that their chances would be even better. So that's at least one team that some people would have had in the college football playoff. But Ohio State is somebody, no matter who they were playing, that people would say, yeah, 
those guys are going to be in the college football playoff. They're going to be one of the top four teams in the country. I don't know what happens if the Big Ten decides that they are going to shift their season uh, to the spring either. I, yeah. you know, at that point, I, I think from, you know, we could talk about the executive director of the college football playoff, Bill Hancock, all day long and what they've got to be thinking about right now. But if, if that happens, uh, we would see some unprecedented circumstances in college football. And, and look, we've awarded two national champions in the past. I mean, it's not like Colorado oh, yeah. and Georgia yeah. Tech didn't split the title back in, in the old poll era. I mean, maybe you have a champion of the fall and a champion of the spring. I, I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds. I oh. think the, the I think the you know the group of five teams need to move to the spring. And I think the group of five teams need to take advantage of this opportunity. I've been saying it for years. Why why play in a league where you're probably never going to win a championship? Just create your own group of five national title because that's a, a lot more valuable to UCF than a mythical mm-hmm. national championship at UCF, a real championship, and make yourself you know have you have the the spring to yourself this year. And if it works, you know what? Have the spring to yourself every year. There are a lot of people that would prefer to watch college football in the spring than basketball or baseball. It's a, it's a very interesting idea. And it's something that I thought when uh, we talked about some of these moves that that might actually, that I might actually have the chance to stick in. Um, So, you know, it's just be, it's just going to be very, very interesting to see. But my, my joke was always, even if nobody played college football and then it got moved to, uh, you know, everybody got moved to February, that Alabama was still probably going to play the, you know, the KAs and the SAEs of the world on campus and then try to fly a flag for a national championship anyway. So, uh, you know, there are there are those schools out there that have no, uh, you know, no hesitation to claim a national championship one way or another. And maybe if the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have to play at a different time, then, yeah, we'll just look back at this as the year in which uh, in which two teams are, are claiming flags that they're flying now. Well, Ingram, man, it's always great catching up with you. About 45 minutes on Sundays and Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. It is the ACC tailgate, an interesting week uh, for sure, and I, I guarantee you more interesting uh, news and notes to come over the next couple of days because from where I sit, it is shaky, shaky land. Uh, even though I know all the Tigers uh, up in Clemson want to get out there on the gridiron, and I know all the Seminoles and Tar Heels and everybody else in this league is ready to play. It's just uh, you, you just go one day at a time with this thing, man. Fluid. Fluid Very is fluid. The, 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 fluid. the word of the year. Ingram, buddy, take care. Follow him on Twitter, at Ingram Smith. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Clemson Sports. And you've been listening to the ACC tailgate here on Chris – on, excuse me, on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. You can also head over uh, to LandryFootball.com to learn more about how you can be a part of this program. Till next week, for Ingram Smith, I'm Lawton Swan, and the Tar Heels will send us off. <laughs>